are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in here today on the free podcast powered by CRTV. My name is Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here as well. We'd love it if you would join us too. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And gentlemen, we just wrapped up our show for CRTV. Let's give the audience a preview of what's to come later today at CRTV.com. Aaron, I'll start with you. You won't believe who Roy Moore should thank. Nice. That opening monologue might leave a mark. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I agree. And I said as much. Uh, I learned that when uh, Aaron asks a non-political question and tells us it needs to be short, he really needs to think longer and harder about what question he's asking us because we just cared too much about this. (laughs) It's funny you say that because I didn't think very long or hard about the question that I asked. You had to know that when you presented us the option of talking about something we actually still care about. And have an emo and have yeah. we I mean but also have an emotional vested interest in. Right now, we just care about politics, but we're not emotionally invested in. But if you're gonna ask us about football, so we have the care factor and we are emotionally invested, you had to know that was not going to be a quick because we both like sit up in our finally, somebody asks us about something we want to talk about here. <laughs> I make a dent on this one. We're in. So, if you want to watch today's CRTV show, now's a great time. Just in time for Christmas, use my promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, and you'll get a discounted subscription for 2018 for you or that loved one. Just in time for the holidays, that includes, by the way, access to all of the shows. Not just our crummy little show, but all of the good ones that we do each day here on CRTV. Promo code DACE, and don't forget... You get to drink me there you go. some me, or you get to drink some me, right? There you go. Because we get the sure uh, get coffee mug. Yeah. You, that's right. We, no expense spared, no stop unpulled here at CRTV. You will get a gorgeous red coffee mug, if I do say so myself, with our show logo, but also my, my not-so-gorgeous likeness. You get a mug with my mug and Todd I have to say I'm very disappointed you haven't asked me for like eight of these by now I just assumed Christmas was coming and it would be in my stocking or something (laughs) you love Christmas I just figured there'd be glad tidings was I wrong I didn't want to spoil my gift this year I didn't want to spoil my Christmas bonus would that be the worst Christmas bonus since Chevy Chase got a subscription to the Jello of the or the uh, the Jelly of the Month Club in Christmas Vacation. Mister, if I had a rubber hose, I would beat you. Do you remember that? And Cousin Eddie looks at him. Yeah. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on yes. giving. Clark. I think uh, Ray from Everybody Loves Raymond got his parents a Fruit of the Month Club uh, subscription. That um, that didn't end up too well either. I actually watched that again last night. With Amy and I watched that on one of the uh, 
basic cable channels. I haven't seen it in a long time, but the uh, Jelly of the Month Club Christmas bonus. And then when he just loses it, yes, just has an absolute meltdown. That's a great scene. It's a great movie. I mean, yeah. it, Christmas movie, it, 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 it didn't belong in the top five. But if we produced. had a top ten, it might have been number six. Oh, yeah. Maybe no lower than number seven. Dude, right? I, I looked on the topic of Christmas movies, not to keep t- changing the subject from, from the task at hand here, but I looked up the plot line for A Christmas Story. And is this seriously only about a dude, uh, a little kid who wants a BB gun? Yes. Well, that is the driving force of the film, but it's about a lot more than that. Okay. If you've seen the movie, okay. but that's the that's the that is the uh, that's the impetus that creates the rest of the storylines and subplots throughout the course of the film, is a kid's quest for the ultimate gift that he wants every Christmas and what he has to do in order to get it. Okay, so yeah, in this case, it's a Red Rider BB gun, yeah, which well, will cause you to shoot your eye out. That's that's what uh, George Lucas calls the MacGuffin. Yeah. It just gets you started. There you go. So much more. Nice. Look at you. Look at the brain on Todd. It's coming. Look (laughs) Look at at that. Trying to find little shreds of nostalgia for Star Wars. I am going to get you one of these coffee mugs this year for (laughs) Christmas after all. You just earned it, man. Well done. I was thinking thinking maybe not even that, but there's a little Christmas bonus coming your way. Have a little warm cup of joe literally on me or in me. Oh, when you're off for Christmas, God. what do you think? I personally believe... There's still time between now and Christmas for you to even take that away, so... <laughs> I won't get my hopes up too high. Let's get to Worldview Wednesday. I personally believe... Elitism. Marxism. Atheist. Government intervention. Secular humanist. Liberals and conservatives. Materialism. Nihilism. U.S. Americans. Christian. Globalist. Socialist. Democracy. Worldview, as the word suggests, is how we look at the world around us. How do we understand life as it hits us in the face. Libertarian. Tea Partier. The free market. Nobody is without a worldview. The only question is, is it a good one or a bad one? So it becomes the glasses, the spectacles, the filter through which they're actually seeing life. And the whole universe and the world and human life is understood through that lens. This is Steve Dace. And this is Worldview Wednesday, your college philosophy class via podcast, where we delve a little deeper into the various worldviews that are the MacGuffin. See what I did there? You like that? Are the MacGuffin that drive the various news cycles we have to endure each and every day in this culture today. I don't have a mug with my face on it. I can give you. I apologize. (laughs) I'm still working my way up the ladder. (laughs) Is that the status sign when there's a mug? You did Yes. Then why not just go out and have it, you know, like screened on some kind of mug, you know, for like 10 bucks right now. Walk in tomorrow. It can't be self-produced. Oh, it can't? No. Is that's, that a dude it, code a violation? Dude, yes. Like you can't gloss yourself, like you can't come up with your own nickname, right? right? Totally. What if I did it for you? That, no, that's just, I mean, I'd accept that gift. Hmm. That's just That's friendship. just weird. But, yeah. like I worked with a guy years ago in Sports Talk Radio and he introduced himself to me. Good guy, by the way. I liked working with him. But he introduced himself to me. He goes, and you know, I've got this nickname that I'm really trying to introduce to the market. And so I'm really pushing it. So if you can call me by that, I'd appreciate it. We worked together for almost five years. Do you guys know how often I call them by that nickname? Never. I hope the answer is zero. It's a really low number. Yeah. (laughs) Zero. Can't gloss yourself, dude. (laughs) Dude code must be enforced. Must be enforced. Did he? Did you ever get like a 
a look of just... I don't know. I just called him by his first name the entire time. I <laughs> never referred to him by his self-glossed nickname. It cannot be allowed. I don't know. Who, I don't know who it is, uh, but it would be great if you like went in the opposite. If his name was like Rob, you just started calling him Robert. Like, get, <laughs> oh, like his formal name? Yes. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you off air who it was because there would be a formal name attached to it. Yeah, oh, that would. I could awesome. have done that. Yeah, but I mean, really good guy. It was a was a joy to work with. Low maintenance, very supportive. So it wasn't personal, you know. But just he had to recognize the dude code transcends everything. I mean, the dude code strictly forbids another dude from glossing himself. You cannot create your own nickname and then try to introduce it to the market. Any market, whether that's a playground in the third grade or it's a radio market you're broadcasting and you cannot gloss yourself. You cannot. An argument for me. All right, then let's, let's move on. We are, cons- we are continuing our three-week series on Advent. We're answering the question here on Worldview Wednesday of why Christmas? Why did there have to be a Christmas? Now, last week with part one, part one, we talked about long lay the world in sin and error pining. One of the lines from the Christmas uh, hymnal classic, O Holy Night. What did that mean? What was the condition of the world? And more importantly, how did it become the condition of the world? Because if we don't understand that, then we don't understand why there had to be a Christmas, right? Part two this week, we're going to talk about how God keeps his promises. And one of the things that separates Christianity apart from every other religious system is prophecy, meaning the foretelling of events before they actually occur. The book of Isaiah, and Isaiah was one of the great prophets of the Jewish people, the book of Isaiah contains numerous prophecies Christians believe are about Jesus Christ. And for many, many years, skeptics attacked the book of Isaiah and said, well, it could not have, it really couldn't have been written in 735 B.C. And then there was this little boy rummaging through caves on the shore of the Dead Sea in the 1940s. And he just happened to walk into an enclave of Jewish scriptures that were kept by a sect of Judaism. I believe they were the Ascends. Is that correct? If my memory serves? And E S S E N E S. Right? Yes. Is that right? All right. And they they moved out to the outskirts on the shores of the Dead Sea, waiting for the Messiah to come. And when we dated these Red Dead Sea Scrolls, we de- we that these were their copies of the Jewish scriptures. They were dated to about, is it, if I remember right, again, I haven't studied this in several years, but I'm doing this from memory. My memory's normally pretty good. We all know that, but it also ain't quite what it used to be All right, as I get older. But I, I believe they were out there about 110, 120 BC. Does that sound right from history? I honestly don't recall. Which means that even if you don't believe Isaiah wrote 
his prophecies in the 7th century BC. At the very least, we have copies of the book of Isaiah from the Dead Sea Scrolls that predate the birth of Christ by decades. And this is something that sets Christianity, really the two things that set Christianity apart from every other religious system is that it doesn't begin with a dogma or a creed that you must accept. It begins with a fact. Did Jesus die and rise again from the grave? Was he physically resurrected? If he was not, then there's really no reason to continue the conversation. If he was, then this is the most important conversation in the history of human existence. That's it. There's really no in between. It's one or the other. So it doesn't, it's not necessarily based on faith as much as fact. Your faith comes from your belief in that fact, not the fact from your belief in your faith. Word made flesh. Indeed. It's incarnate. Yeah, did that happen? Right. That's the incarnation is what we're commemorating. That's what Christmas is. It's a commemoration of the incarnation. The other thing that sets Christianity apart from other religious systems is the foretelling of future events, prophecy. And the coming of Christ was not a random occurrence. But it was something that had been foretold for thousands of years. Christians believe, for example, right away when Adam and Eve sin, God tells them that there will be a seed that will come forward. And the head of the serpent will bruise his heel and he will crush its head. If you've ever seen Mel Gibson's The Passion, one of my favorite scenes in this film is a depiction of the fulfillment of this prophecy. And it is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's right at the beginning of the movie. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, knowing what's about to happen to him. The androgynous Satan caricature stands off in the distance, trying to convince Christ, walk away, says these people aren't worth it. They won't believe. You're doing this for nothing. While the devil is handling a serpent, who then as he dials up his temptation of Christ there in Gethsemane, the serpent then leaves the devil and begins encircling Jesus. Almost as if to say, embrace me. Finally, at the end, when Christ says, not my will, Father, but your will be done, and he accepts his mission, his eternal mission, to be the lamb slain for the sins of the world. This entire time, he has never acknowledged Satan standing just a few yards away, tempting him to walk away. He's never acknowledged the androgynous Satan one time until now. And after he has, he has accepted one final time his eternal mission, he finally, with a steel glaze that it just, it's dude is what it is. It is dude. It's, I mean, it is, it's when Hulk Hogan starts shaking in the ring. All right. It's when Rocky gets to the, finally catches the chicken. All right. It's that kind of look, man. He finally gives that look to the devil. And he looks down at this serpent that's been encircling him. 
And with his sandal, he crushes its head right there on camera. And man, when I saw the movie for the first time, I leapt out of my seat when I saw that. Okay? That's the very first messianic prophecy that Christians believe has ever been handed down. And that scene from the Passion, its depiction is the fulfillment of it. But it doesn't end there. And this is why there was so much anticipation. So much waiting for the son of David. Meaning the one who would be the perpetual owner of David's legacy on the throne of Israel. To return. To come. Once and for all. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And the S in son is capitalized. And shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. God is with us. The song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is the incarnation. Matthew 123, the very first book of the New Testament. Behold, virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God is physically now with us. Micah 5 2, another book in what Christians call the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. In the New Testament, this was what the chief priests and scribes quoted to King Herod. When the Magi, when the three kings show up asking Herod, hey, we hear that the king of kings is getting born in your backyard. And this is the Old Testament prophecy that the scribes and religious leaders, the priests, cite to King Herod for why the Magi would think this way. Again, this is written hundreds of years. In fact, between the last book of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament with Matthew, it's about 400 years of silence, right? Isn't it about 400 years Yeah. between those two testaments? So the people have waited for centuries for this culminating moment in history. Jeremiah 31, 14, one of the other great, if, 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 if Isaiah is not the greatest prophet, of, of the greatest Jewish prophet, prophet, probably Jeremiah was. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, who is Rachel? Aaron, you were homeschooled. Rachel was who? Uh, let's see, sister of Leah. Yep, his wife, wife Jacob's Jacob. wife. Yes, all right. Yes. What's funny is he got the harder part of the equation right. <laughs> Can remember the easiest one. So we're gonna cut you some slack on that. You actually got the harder half of that answer. Okay. Rachel weeping for her children. And by the way, who's Jacob? Well, he had his name changed to what? Israel. Israel. Rachel, the wife of Israel, weeping. For her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. 
Christians believe that this prophecy was fulfilled when Herod sent the kill order for the infant sons of Israel when he had heard that a king had been born in his own backyard to challenge his authority, and there would be no challenge to Herod the Great's authority. So he had these children slaughtered. This is why, if you're wondering, why did, why did Jesus' parents take him to Egypt? It was to escape this slaughter. Hosea 11.1, out of the Old Testament, out of Egypt, I called my son. And so an angel comes to Joseph and says, you need to take your family to Egypt right away. Something wicked this way comes. They go to Egypt, and then when it's all clear, he comes back home. Out of Egypt, God has called whom Christians believe to be his son. Zechariah 9.9 in the Old Testament foretold that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. And in the New Testament, Christ, when he returns for the Passover, on Palm Sunday, enters Jerusalem on a what? On a donkey. Psalm 41.9 says he would be betrayed by a friend. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends, one of his 12 disciples, Judas Iscariot. Zechariah 11.12 foretold the betrayal would be for 30 pieces of silver, which is exactly what Judas was paid. Zechariah 11.13 foretold that that money would be used to purchase a potter's field. The betrayer's money would be used to purchase a potter's field, and that's exactly what happened. Daniel 9.26, Isaiah 53.8 foretells the Messiah dying a sacrificial death for us. Isaiah 53, 9, he would die with criminals, but his burial would be with the wealthy. Where did Jesus get his tomb? Joseph of Arimathea, who was a member of the Jewish High Religious Council, the Sanhedrin. This is why most people that were crucified were criminals or poor people. They were just cast aside. It was expensive to do something. They'd just get rid of their bodies or bury them in unmarked graves. He was given an expensive tomb of a wealthy man. Psalm 16, 8 through 16, 8 through 11, Isaiah 53, 10, foretold the Messiah rising from the dead, which is the central claim of all of Christianity. It's really its only claim. Because if that doesn't stand up, everything else Christianity has to say is worthless. Psalm 22, 1, 8, 18, talked about some of the certain words Christ would say at the cross. Forgive them, they know not what they do. That he would be mocked, scorned. There would be, people would gamble for his clothes. All of these events took place. There's a lot more to this, actually. I mean, we could do an entire show of just going through Old Testament scriptures that Christ fulfilled. But I think by now, we've made our point. God keeps his promises. 
He promised his people a deliverer. Job, many scholars believe, is the oldest recorded book of the Bible. Job himself says, I know my Redeemer lives. Isaiah describes the Messiah as a, quote, suffering servant. Christ spent the last hours of his earthly life suffering tremendously. God keeps his promises. Now, it doesn't always happen in the timetable that we would like. You know, Paul writes in the New Testament, when the time was right, God sent his son. Why was it right then and not hundreds of years before that? Thousands of years before that. I don't know, I'm not God. But if you look at what was going on in the world at that time, That was probably the earliest in human history. It was relatively safe. And when I say safe, I don't mean by our modern standards, okay? But by the standards of human history and development at that point in time in our arc as a species, that was probably the safest it had ever been, or the first time it had even been remotely safe to travel large spaces and distances collectively. Because you had, essentially, one governing seat to the world. Now we had what was going on in the Far East. That was kind of, at that point in human history, shelved off from the rest of the world till Marco Polo showed up. But outside of the Far East and the North America that had yet to be discovered, the rest of the civilized world was under Roman control. You're talking about the early internet, Roman law, Roman roads. Yes, Roman. The lang- well, they use Greek language, but but there was a common language. Yeah. Common. So we had roads. We had we had some form of urban sprawl. Very nothing like what we have today, but a very nascent form of it that had never really existed before. Interconnectivity between cultures that had never really existed before. Paul, by virtue of himself being a Roman citizen, had a level of civil rights that had never really existed in human history in any kingdom before. You, know, you wonder, why did God, why, why, is, why is this guy Saul get picked? Why does this guy Saul of Tarsus get chosen? He's not, you know, I mean, he's, he's committed to persecuting Christianity. He's, he's literally, people are, are martyring and stoning Christians, saying to Paul, hold my beer, and Paul's like, I'm happy to, okay? Although it was their tunic, not their beer, but you get what I'm trying to say. He is on his way to a place called Antioch, which is the road to Damascus, which is a nation we know today as Syria. The New Testament says the place where Christians were first identified as Christians was actually not in Israel. It was in Syria. Paul is on his way there to go arrest him some Christians. When Christ shows up, gives him a new life and a new mission. Now, why pick this guy? Well, because the list of people in the first century who had the credentials to both walk, in, walk into every synagogue in the entire Roman Empire and be welcomed 
but then also be able to freely move about as a Roman citizen, have certain habeas corpus, certain rights, certain civil rights. I don't know what that list was. I would imagine, though, it's really exclusive. I, I'm, I'm guessing he may not have been the only member of the Sanhedrin that was a Roman citizen, but I'm guessing most of them weren't. So if, if you're God and you're looking to pick somebody who can both go to your people, Israel, that have been, you know, Jesus tells the parable of the banquet. And, have, and, and the people have been waiting for this wedding feast. And it's finally here. And they've probably been asked to wait too long. But it's finally arrived. The list of people who could go to your own people that you chose for yourself, your own Jewish people, and say your Messiah has arrived. But that can also go in the Gentile world and freely commiserate and go to the Areopagus, Mars Hill, in, in Athens and speak to them probably is a really exclusive list, guys. I wouldn't even be shocked if it was a list of one. It certainly isn't a list of dozens. It's not a big list. So this wasn't random. This was providence. In fact, Jesus says, and I believe it's about riding the donkey, isn't it? Where Jesus says, go and purchase the colt. So all righteousness would be fulfilled. Isn't that, isn't that one of the instances where he says that? I think so. Meaning he's very aware. He's very, he, is, he is aware of the fact they have to dot every I and cross every T. We have to keep our promises. We, we made these signs. We asked our people to see the signs. And now... We're going to make sure they receive every one of them. Oh, and to make the point of his argument, he's not just aware of the promise. He is the promise. He is the word. That's what makes this so controversial today. For those of you that didn't really grow up really religious or casually religious, but you love Christmas. It's kind of, you know, you like the sights, the sounds, the taste, can I get an amen on that? All right, this is the best eating time of the year. Like, don't ask me what my carb count is right now. I'm like, I'm not going nuts. But pretty much from the week before Thanksgiving to the end of the year, I'm not counting the carbs. Tapping out. Yeah, I'm tapping out. I'm living right the previous 10 and a half months so I can really live right this last month and a half. Go. You know what I'm saying? Testify. Right? All right, so if you didn't grow up religious or you're casual religious, but you love this time of year, you love the presence, you love the pomp, the circumstance, the Rankin-Bass specials, taking your kids to see Santa Claus. You may be wondering, why is there a group of people that are so worked up about this? So worked up. Why was there a war, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago over whether we were going to still say Merry Christmas or not? Why did Wham's Last Christmas replace Silent Night and Joy to the World in every department store from 2003 to 2009? Why did that happen? What's the big deal? I just told you what the big deal was. Because if this is true, there's never been a bigger deal. It's the biggest deal of them all. It's really the only deal. It's the only deal if it's true. Now, if it's not true, it's the biggest scam of human of all history. 
And and when it's one or the other, and we love to find our distinctions and our gray areas and our middle grounds, right? So we have to we don't have to commit one way or the other. And a lot of times that's prudent actually. Adults adults draw distinctions when it's necessary. But sometimes it's forbidden. Like we don't have distinctions on gravity. We don't have distinctions on the laws of motion. We don't have distinctions on we need oxygen to breathe. Well, I kind of do. I, well, I don't need, yeah, I only need oxygen like Tuesdays and Thursdays. No, no. And when there ceases to be oxygen, what happens? Uh, you cease. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> All right. So sometimes there's just an either or. Now, children think everything's an either or. Children think everything's an extreme. Adults draw distinctions. But adults also know when there are no distinctions to draw. There's no distinction to draw with whether your body needs water. There's no distinction to draw with whether your lungs need oxygen. There's no distinction to draw with gravity. You know, walk, climb to the highest building in your hometown, fling yourself off. Claim all the distinctions you want on the way down. Because when you hit, you will hit. That's not a time for drawing of distinctions. Neither is this. Either the baby born in that barn, in that manger, is the fulfillment of all these prophecies and many more I don't have time to cite in this podcast. And if he is, that changes everything. Or he's not. And if he's not, we're the biggest fools who ever lived. This is the biggest scam in the history of mankind. And in a very ironic way, those who earlier this century, 21st century, spent several years declaring war on Christmas are confirming for you that it's true. For if it were not, or at the very least, if they didn't think there was a chance it was, what would be the point in snuffing it out? My favorite team, Michigan, is going to have Star Wars Day at Chrysler Center on Saturday when they welcome UCLA. Is anybody standing outside protesting, Star Wars isn't real? Darth Vader never lived. There is no Boba Fett. The Force is fake. It's fake news. And if anybody did that, we would think they're insane. Because we all agree this is a fairy tale. You only protest the things you might be afraid are not. Final thoughts, Todd. That was fantastic and providential in that today was the very first day I heard one of my favorite modern uh, Christmas songs, uh, 2000 Decembers Ago. Hmm. Uh, and one of the lines in the refrain is, uh, uh, was anyone able to look at the stable and not see a child but a king? I wish I could hear back over the years as heaven and nature sing. And Steve is talking about 
the song that is laced throughout all of God's creation if we only have ears to hear and eyes to see. It has been there all along. The victory was always at hand. He does indeed keep his promises. Amen. Aaron. Well said. Um, and uh, used to always kind of annoy me when I was I was a little kid uh, reading through the genealogy in uh, it's Matthew and Luke, right? Yep. Or Matthew, yeah, Matthew and Luke where the genealogy of Christ is. But that's another um, another prophecy uh, that's extremely fascinating. I mean, you can really trace it all the way from Adam. Of course, you can trace everybody back to Adam, but from Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to David, and then it's a straight shot right to Jesus Christ. That's just another one of of many uh, that we got into prophecies, foretellings. That we that, that that provide evidence for Christ being who He claimed to be and who we claim Him to be, and yet at the end of the day, we can have our evidences, we can have arguments all we want, and we will, and we will continue to have those until Christ comes back. But at the end of the day, it is a matter. Of faith. Now, there are reasons, as we got into reasons, and we always try to get into reasons why we believe, good, solid reasons that we believe. But at the end of the day, unless you have come to a point of your own brokenness, um, what we're talking about really won't matter to you. Because if you're not broken, you don't need a Savior, and you don't need that little baby that was born in a manger. Because God keeps his promises, this time of year, we sing and proclaim and declare, hallelujah. And that will be the third and final chapter of our Advent series for Worldview Wednesday next week. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for tuning in here today on the free podcast, courtesy of CRTV. Don't forget CRTV.com, promo code DACE so you don't miss a single show, either ours or the great one Mark Levin or anybody else's exclusively at CRTV. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. Steve Dace. I like it, you.